Welcome to the Youth Athletic Podcast. As you guys all know now, the Yak. With me as always, John Coleman. Not yes, Paul man. Kenny, because he's too busy doing uh, coach things. But I got a special guest for you guys. I got my man, Dave Deming. How you guys hey, everybody. doing? How are you? So Dave Deming is, uh, I mean, he's a strong dude, man. He's really strong. <laughs> and, you know, usually with this being the Yap and Youth Athletic Podcast, you still got strong coaches on here who can do really cool things. But Dave is also a science guy. Uh, he's a scientist. Uh, you're in a doctorate program, right? Yep. Getting a PhD in genetics and cancer biology. Yeah. So, I mean, so he's got like a 405-pound squat easily, you know, probably even right now. Like, wake him up in the, like, you know, 2 in the morning, you probably do that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, just can dish out scientific information that coaches and young athletes are probably interested in. Because again, it's cool to understand that like if you say, hey, if you work out and you train really hard, you can be, you know, stronger. What's great is Dave today is going to help us understand why these things happen. So that's really mm -hmm. the thing that I'm looking for right now. So Dave, um, one of the first questions I want to ask you, um, as far as exercise goes, when an individual is training, they're working out and they say break down muscle tissue, right? And next thing you know, like, you know, they ingest a protein shake and then they go home and then they, uh, you know, whatever it is, they eat, they go to bed. What's happening inside of the body? Like what's, what's going on when someone gets done training? So basically, you know, you, you, like you said, you break down muscle fibers that you're using during training. Um, you're going to feel that burn from having anaerobic respiration, basically meaning that your body can't use oxygen at the time to break down sugars to fuel uh, the muscles to actually do what they need to do. But while you're doing that and you're overexerting or you're exerting, you're, you're tearing muscle fibers in just a little way, just a little nudge, little nudge. You're not tearing the muscle completely, but there's these little filaments in your muscles that kind of slide past one another, just like this. And as you go past and contract, past and contract, it causes little microfiber tears on the extremely, extremely molecular level. Basically, we're talking about things that are about one micrometer in length. And for a frame of reference, um, my pinky is about three centimeters, uh, right from here to here. And yeah. that's about 3000 times smaller than that. <laughs> so you're, you're making like a little, level. is that what you're telling me? Like major microscope level, major microscope level. So cool. when like to tie it in, you're breaking down proteins at that level. And you know, when you say you're ingesting that protein shake, you get that piece of ch like real lean chicken in you. Then you're also getting some good carbs, good vegetables, and you're after a recovery meal. Uh, your body breaks that down in the digestive tract, ingests it, um, and then absorbs it, and then it's distributed through the uh, blood system. And then the, the blood, the circulatory system, takes it to your muscles. Your muscles then absorb uh, basically the components of the proteins called amino acids. I think everyone has heard of BCAAs, branched-chain amino acids. Yep. Those are really good for recovery. Your body can ingest those. They can absorb them really rapidly and then distribute them as is into the bloodstream so that your muscles can actually use them very rapidly to uh, rebuild. And like I said, those little fibers, the actin and myosin, heavy myosin chains, they get torn. So when these amino acids get uptaken by the cells, there's little proteins that are like, let's look at them as like scaffolding, kind of like the construction crew around the other proteins that are actually sliding past one another, doing the work in your muscles. And they kind of go in there and they'll start replacing different uh, amino acids on that molecular level. So basically, when you're doing your big bench press, your build, you're doing your squats, you're doing all the uh, compound exercises that I'm, I'm assuming that you gentlemen make your uh, athletes do, um, you know, it's not the big things that are actually tearing, it's the little things. And then to build them up from just that microscopic level um, really kind of shows you the, the complex nature <laughs> that our bodies really are. You know, we're where millions and billions and billions and billions of these little proteins all put together that just do functional work that gives you, as a result, what you see on the outside. So when you ingest that protein, again, like I said, it breaks it down to its simplest parts. It gets distributed to the muscles that you've already broken down that have kind of like, you know, when your car gets used for a while, you need to replace the tires, right? Think of it as that, you know, you're, you're, you're wearing down your muscles, you're wearing down your muscles. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know what? 
I need to repair that. I need to repair that. And then you're not going to get a bad tire to replace your old tire. You're going to get a brand new tire. It's going to have good grip and maybe it's a little bit better of a tire. So that's basically the, the way that I would extrapolate that analogy out a little bit more. Well, that's great, man. And I think, you know, again, just hearing it that way, <laughs> it's a really complex system, right? That like, honestly, like it's like one of the most complex computers ever. Right. And we've got that going on inside of us. And then it, it, it seems like we make it a lot harder on ourselves. I mean, now just talking about how hard it is to actually repair these things, what's working, all these different uh, components to get mm -hmm. those gains that everyone acts like they mm -hmm. want so much. Well, it's kind of funny because it seems like a lot of us are robbing ourselves of this by not doing some of the more simple things. So what is the role that say hydration, eating well, mm -hmm. sleeping, right? not mm -hmm. stressing out about nonsense what are the role that those things play in um either allowing you to recover better or how can those things actually disrupt that system so that's a very good question um so we were talking previously you know pr uh, prior to us starting about how muscle breakdown and muscle buildup is actually related to the immune system so the immune system basically helps you fight off you know bacteria viruses you know given that we're in a system of covid-19 you know hopefully everybody yeah, out there's yeah. safe you know your immune system fights off all of those nasty bad things helps you get over being sick but it you also helps you just, and I don't mean to cut you off I just want to ask this because you might get there but I've recently heard that a lot of your immune system is in your gut. Like, where is mm -hmm. the immune system? And, and just keep doing your thing, but that's just something I wanted immune to Immune system is everywhere. Think about it this way. It has, I think um, some people have seen, like, little amoebas that are in your body called macrophages that eat the bad, the yeah. gunk, the bacteria, the bad cells. Uh -huh. Those are embedded everywhere in your brain, in your muscles, uh, in your bone. They all have different names. In your brain, it's called microglia. In your uh, muscle, in, in your muscles, it's they're macrophages or monocytes. In your bone, they're called osteoclasts. Um, so they basically chew up all the garbage that's around and gets rid of it and flushes it out. To tie it into strength training is, you know, you're breaking down all that tissue. You're breaking down that muscle, like we said, on that very fine molecular level. Dave, we talk about free radicals when we talk about, about gunk too. Yes, or yes. No? you can. Cool. Yes, yes, you can uh, include free radicals. Free radicals basically are uh, something that comes around when trying to build up or break down different uh, molecules in the uh, cell. So let's right. say you need to break down um, uh, ATP into ADP. It can actually produce free radicals when you're doing that. Um, when you're actually making AD, ATP from ADP in the mitochondria, the way that the uh, electron transport chain, you have like this basically outer wall of your mitochondria Trainers, pumps in. Listen to this. You took this stuff. This is probably part of your certification that you breezed through, you were happy to pass, and now you're hearing it again. This is, <laughs> this is uh, NSCA, so all that kind of stuff. Go ahead, Dave. So you, when you're making ATP for your muscles, you have electrons that go back and forth between this layer, and that actually will produce free radicals. And your body has numerous capacity, an innumerable capacity to break down free radicals. Um, actually, everyone I think knows hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide is actually produced in your cells and is actually broken down by a certain enzyme. I'm blanking on the name, forgive me. And then um, there's another one, O2. I think everybody, O2, everybody knows oxygen. Oxygen yeah. can actually be a free radical and it can actually cause DNA damage. So during workouts, you can actually increase free radicals, but by doing that, you're actually increasing the systems that break down free radicals and actually prevent you from having these in your body for longer periods of time. So think about it like this. You're training. You're trying to get your bench press higher and higher and higher. You're going to do, you're going to do your exercises. You're going to stick to a program. Guess what? Your muscles are going to follow along in that program by building up the necessary capabilities to break down any type of bad things that could come along. So you're building up, you know, your chest, you're building up your muscles, same way that you're building these uh, like systems to break down all the bad stuff in your body. So that's why, uh, very generically speaking, is why um, working out actually can help you live longer, live healthier, and actually have a, a higher, um, a better quality of life. Because so you're actually- the, All of the quote, bad things that happen, 
when you work out that are dangerous, <laughs> your body actually, if it's working the way it's supposed to, has an answer and develops a system to combat it. Yep, exactly. So your body's adapting to those uh, free radicals or increase in uh, breakdown of tissues and actually builds up the systems to rebuild quicker, quicker, to rebuild quickly to, you know, fight off any types of those like infections. So when you get sick, if you're in good shape, you can actually use your protein source, build up the immune system, flush out the virus or flush out the bacteria much quicker. That's why certain diseases, if you're healthier and you're younger and you're in shape, you tend to bounce back quicker. You know, if you have a broken leg or some type of, um, you know, viral infection, you usually tend to bounce back quicker. That's why people in our age group had that misconception about COVID-19. Um, oh, I'm healthy. I'm young. I work out. I, I'll be okay. It's not necessarily, that's not necessarily true, but in general, because you're actually keep treating your body correctly and actually giving yourself the ability to build up the systems that will give you like a buffer when you hit that wall or you get sick, same thing as when uh, you're in training, you know, uh, for whatever sport you're in. Say you're a basketball player or a football player, you build up your endurance and you're able to uh, recover quicker. Let's say you get through the first half, you're tired, you sit down at halftime, and you come back and you bounce back a lot quicker if you're trained well by gentlemen such as yourself. You know what I mean? So it's think about it that way, but on the molecular level. So, you know, getting back to the immune system, you know, if you're hydrating properly, you're getting the proper nutrients, you know, your body's able to uh, keep tabs on everything in a manner of speaking. Um, it's like, you know, like, let's go back to the car. You know, you change your oil, you, you rotate your tires, you know, you, you kind of keep track on all the little nuance, all the little systems in there. The car is going to last longer. And if it gets into a little bit of a fender bender, you might bounce back quicker. So if you hydrate well, uh, your immune system will actually propagate a lot easier and it can actually help you recover better because, um, like I was saying to you guys previously, is that, um, your body needs about 24 to 48 hours to induce an immune response. When you start breaking down muscle, it mimics a, an immune signaling response or a signaling event. So basically, it floods your muscles with immune system cells, such as the macrophages, the dendritic cells, and it starts gobbling up all the bad, uh, I guess, metabolites or gunk, if you will, <laughs> um, that so is gunk still over. From training, right? So with yes. training, there's all this stuff that happens, right? Like we were talking about, it could be a free mm -hmm. radical thing, right? You know, I just know that on some of the most basic, you know, terms, mm -hmm. right? And then after you go and, and, and create that, that, uh, that, you know, that gunk, that all the stuff that's there, now if you're, you're giving your body the right stuff, like you are saying, hydration, and you're giving it the right type of nutrients, now, the, you know, the troops are coming in, so to speak, yep. right? Yep, it's coming in to help save you and rebuild you and kind of give you the, um, like the, the backup that you need to really kind of get through the injury that you basically inflicted upon yourself. And is this a while, like if you do a really hard bout of training, we, we talk about this overtraining concept. Let's say you do a really hard bout of training and you've done a few of those in a row and you've really got yourself uh, beaten down. Now you're not sleeping that well. You're not eating well, but just trying to get these workouts in. Is this why there's a greater risk of getting yourself sick? Because it, it does mm -hmm. affect the immune system. In order to recover, there's an immune response needed to be able to recover from this? Yeah, and it's actually twofold. So you do need an immune response to build the protein back up in your muscles. But your immune system, let's say you work out really hard, you're really dogged down, you're really beat down, and then you get sick. Well, that's twofold. Uh, one, because you need the protein for the muscles. And then twofold, because when you have a pathogen or a bacteria or virus come in, uh, it's responded to by like um, B cells and T cells. Um, it's not gonna get into too much of that, but immune system cells. Okay. They see that, they respond to it, and then they need to multiply and proliferate and uh, get up to a high enough number to attack that pathogen, that invader. 
So when you've been your system down too low by overtraining, you're highly at risk for infections because your body just doesn't have enough supply of, um, you know, materials, raw materials to build up the response to both things. So think of it as like you're overusing the proteins that you would normally use for muscle recovery and muscle building, but you're using that on your immune system. So it kind of splits everything up and then you don't have enough for either. So then you're actually setting yourself back in terms of your um, muscle gains, your uh, athletic um, programming, but you're also setting yourself back in terms of like your overall health. So it's all interrelated, you know, you like I was saying. Sorry, I mean to cut you off, but do, could you overtrain yourself into being more, um, more at risk of say, uh, you know, <coughs> about things, you know, having a COVID issue or something of that nature? Like if you were just seriously like, if you're depleted, like if your immune system was depleted, you were training too much, you, were, uh, you weren't getting enough sleep, weren't doing any of the things necessary, mm -hmm. and even if you were, say, like a 16-year-old kid, a powerhouse, could you put yourself at greater risk of getting it by doing those things? Of course. Hands down, yes. 100% full stop, period. Um, you right. if... <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's just like you, you need to listen to the people that are helping you train. Um, you also need to listen to your body. You know, if, if you know that you're feeling under the weather or you're feeling I've overworked something, discuss that with your trainer, discuss that with your coach. You know, they, they will be able to adapt their program to what your needs are. If they're a good coach, like I know you two gentlemen will be, you know, are. So it's just one of those things that, you know, moderation is key, even including moderation, you know, sometimes. But um, I would say that if you are maintaining your body as the machine that it is, you know, you can only have so much output before the machine starts to break down. You know, you need to have the proper, like we said, proper hydration, whether that's water. Um, I'm not really the biggest on the sports drinks, but if you are training heavily and hard, Gatorade is good. Um, if you're dehydrated and you know that you're dehydrated from a very long bout of working out, Pedialyte is great. I recommend Pedialyte to people who, you know, feel even like a tinge of a little bit of a sickness. Try Pedialyte because that'll help you get your, like I think you said earlier, homeostasis back in order. Yeah. And everything will, you know, it'll keep your machine running at an adequate um, level. So two things. Make sure you eat a lot. Well, more than two things. Eat a lot. Um, eat healthy in that regard. Sleep because your body needs that sleep time to actually build up the responses that we're talking about here. You know, sleep isn't just, oh, I feel tired, I need to sleep, you know. It actually helps rebuild muscle, puts your body into a state of um, uh, anabolic, uh, it puts it into an anabolic state so that you can actually build up the necessary components that you need to do to respond to the stressors that you're actually in uh, placing upon yourself. Oh, John, did you have something? Because I was to put your hand up. Yeah, so um, one of the things um, that I've been looking at is, like, not necessarily, yeah, you want to drink water, but you also want to make sure you're getting electrolytes, correct? How, how does electrolytes play a role in hydration? So when you're ingesting water, you actually don't ingest water, um, or rather, you don't absorb water through your digestive tract as is. It's actually... Um, tied to two things. It's actually tied to glucose absorption and uh, sodium absorption. So one example is that you have, or rather the way to break it down is here's your intestine lining. Here's the inside portion where your food passes. And as water passes through, it gets absorbed through the cells of the intestinal lining to the other side in the bloodstream over here um, with sodium and with glucose or sugar. So it's actually called co-transporters. Um, so the water molecule needs to be transported with sodium or glucose. So that's actually why um, when you're in the emergency room or if you're in a state where you have um, people that are severely dehydrated or people that are severely um, undernourished, they'll actually give you salt water um, mm -hmm. to drink and to actually as an IV so that you can absorb the uh, water much more readily, which is kind of counterintuitive because everybody says, oh, you shouldn't drink salt water, like you can't drink ocean water. But because of the way that it is, if you put it in just the right um, uh, 
dosage, yeah, you can absorb it much more readily. And that's actually a very good question um, for electrolyte transfer. The electrolytes are key. That's why there's a lot of sodium in Gatorade. There's, that's why there's potassium in Gatorade. Um, and those things are key for when your muscle function is actually working. So when your muscles are firing between your nerves and your muscles, they're getting the signal. It's actually releasing acetylcholine. Uh, it's a neurotransmitter from the nerve cell to the muscle that actually causes the muscle cell to get the signal to contract. And what actually happens is when that acetylcholine hits the receptor, it actually causes the sodium and potassium channels to sodium out, potassium in, and that causes the signal to cause the, um, like again, those muscle fibers to glide past one another using ATP as energy, and then the signal is released back and forth. So that's actually a real good tie-in. You need electrolytes, A, to get water into your body, and B, you need the electrolytes actually to induce the muscle uh, contraction that you actually see when you're working out. Mm. Okay. So two questions on this one. One, mm -hmm. as far as sugars go, uh, when you get into a state where, let's say you've been training for, you know, you've been perspiring after, say, 30 minutes or something of that nature, it's told that that's a great time to now introducing Gatorade. Some say 30 minutes, some say an hour, whatever. But I've also been told that one of the reasons why Gatorade is effective is because it's just this really simple sugar, right? And mm -hmm. from what my understanding is, it's that almost like you, your body's pretty indiscriminate when it comes down to sugars that way, because once you ingest in any type of sugar, but particularly something that's like, almost like, you know, has less substance and just like, is you know, easy to break down as mm -hmm. possible, your body just runs really well on that. I mean, is that, is that sort of how that, that plays in? Yeah, that's actually a very good way to describe it. Um, because, uh, it's basically sucrose, it's glucose and fructose. Both are sugars that your body can use for anaerobic uh, respiration, basically breaking down um, glucose into ATP, very right. snap form. Um, it doesn't take very long for your body to do that. It absorbs it very quickly, especially since it's with um, water. Uh, again, goes through the intestinal tract, goes right into the bloodstream, and your muscles can get that instantaneous, almost instantaneously. And then does that also work into this? I've often heard that for, say, the wrestler, the MMA fighter, the boxer, or the weight cutter, the person who cannot technically ingest in the fluid because they need to train at a more depleted state to make weight or whatever have you, right? I've been told that sometimes in order to keep performance up, you can essentially have them swish that Gatorade in their mouth and get almost the exact same response as if they were to drink it. So is it because it's, it's, you know, is there something about it being, being absorbed, even if you're not swallowing all of it, is there a way that that might be getting absorbed? Like why, why would that work? So there's actually a twofold reason that I could speculate about that being correct. Um, first, you can't absorb uh, nutrients and different compounds through your, uh, inside of your mouth, through your salivary right. glands, through the epithelial tissues in your mouth. It's actually really close to um, the blood supply. So it can transfer through. That's probably not going to happen at the large extent. But what the second thing is, is that fake sugars have actually been known to induce a response through the hypothalamus to increase blood sugar. Uh, there's a very long circuitry there. But it can actually induce a spike in uh, insulin levels. So it's actually tr kind of tricking the brain into thinking that you ingested sugar when you may not mm -hmm. have actually ingested the sugar. And it can actually spur uh, what's called uh, gluco, gluco, oh God, it's basically when you break down glycogen, forgetting the word. Sure. Um, but you're basically going to break down any reserves of glycogen that you haven't already broken down and can actually increase the uh, breakdown of fats as well because you just get that in in insulin spike. So your body needs more sugar into the bloodstream and it's going to cause that signaling cascade to occur. Now, is that the best answer? Not quite sure, but that's definitely some of the studies that I know and some of the uh, data that I know that can actually be used to kind of explain why that is. Cool. I just love the idea, like just the concept of it, because, you know, again, I've seen studies uh, about this, uh, this concept and what you could do to try to uh, improve performance. I mean, it would be in a short duration, but mm -hmm. they were saying that just by swishing and spitting, 
you would get a better performance than just say like swishing and spinning with water or doing nothing. So at that mm-hmm. point, you know, me being the performance guy I am, I look at that and say, all right, well, this might be a good idea. And you're not so worried at that point of the athlete, you know, um, you know, possibly missing weight or something. Cause usually when you're doing this, you're at your worst. You're not going to swish and spit when you're, uh, you know, when the athlete's able to drink, you know, liquid, it's really just in these weight cutting situations where you're just, mm-hmm. you know, let's face it, certain sports have these demands. It just is what it is. Of course. Um, so I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. So I remember you and I were having a conversation about a, uh, a research, I don't know if it was a research paper, research project, whatever it was. And one of the things that we were talking about was this idea that if an individual was at, you know, their peak or if they're training, they're incredibly healthy, they're doing all the right things, that there is a greater chance that if they were to say procreate within that time period, that there would be a, you know, a, a much better chance that they'd have a healthier kid with uh, possibly a greater, um, maybe a, a greater expression of the, the those positive genes. Mm-hmm. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on like what that, you know, what that, that paper was and what your mm-hmm. findings were and, and maybe how that might have influenced, um, you know, some of us being born, but also just in general, like what we might want to think about as coaches and, you know, and, and individuals who might want to have kids. Yeah, of course. So basically what we're talking about is epigenetic imprinting. So I think most people know what DNA is. It's the building block of life. And when you read the DNA code, it makes proteins. It allows you to make the organism. And, you know, when you have mom and dad procreate, their DNA comes together and makes you. Um, So basically what you're doing by training and eating healthy and giving yourself the leg up that you need is that you're sending environmental cues to your body on how to read the DNA. So it's basically giving you a better way to read it. Um, it's, It's allowing different genes that are highly regulated that are needed for when you're training at a high level to be more overexpressed or to be more... Um, conducive to being expressed. So basically the gene is allowed to do what it needs to do and it does it more in an efficient way. So when say yourself, myself, John here, you know, we train, we eat healthy. We, you know, we're thinking about maybe having kids someday, you know, what we do now in our younger years definitely leaves a long lasting imprint later on in life. Um, Think of it as like kind of like a muscle memory, but for your genes. That's the best way I could think about it. You know what I mean? You know, you you don't hit the gym for a month because of whatever X, Y, and Z, you know, but you get back to your baseline pretty quickly. So what you do now when you're young can actually allow these genes to um, be signaled to be open, uh, especially when, you know, the sperm making process or the egg making process is going and is occurring. Sorry, guys, my clock is going off. I don't know if you hear that. But um, the the genes and the way that they're expressed is that there's little molecules that get plugged onto the DNA. And if you plug on the right molecules because you're, you're ingesting the right foods, you're ingesting the proper amount of sleep, you know, the proper nutrition, that gives you a good balance so that when you do have sperm meets egg, it meets in the most conducive manner for that child. So the child, um, basically the best way I could describe it is there was a study during World War II. Um, there was this thing called the Dutch famine in 1942 where moms, uh, particularly females, were not allowed to eat because the Germans stole all the food. Um, and what that actually did was any child that was born from 1942 to 1944, because they were in this environment where they weren't getting the nutrients they needed, they weren't being as healthy as they needed, uh, people were starving, you know, it, it kind of made this environment, the body signaled and it, it took all this information in and was like, oh, wow, my child might live in a world that doesn't have food, it doesn't have the proper uh, nutritional value that you need to get to actually build a healthy human being. So what it actually did, it predisposed a lot of these uh, kids to what's called metabolic syndrome. Uh, that in, that's an increase in chance for type 2 diabetes, um, 
uh, cardiovascular diseases, heart attacks, high blood pressure. Um, it increased risks for other other dependencies where, you know, they weren't as healthy as say your normal person, like say that was in the United States born at the same time. Uh, and then that actually has long-term effects. It actually shortened the lifespan, the average lifespan for these um, individuals. So on the flip side to that, if you can actually keep yourself in a state of good nutrition, good hydration, good sleep, obviously everybody can be stressed out. But if you can kind of minimize the negatives by doing a lot of the positives, you will help uh, you know, give your genes the best chance to express themselves at the best way possible so that your kids get that information because your bodies are conduits of information, passes it along to the next generation. That's awesome, man. And again, I think that works really well for a lot of the parents listening right now. Because again, if you're a kid mm -hmm. listening here, I'm, I'm sure there are going to be certain kids that listen and they go like, wow, that makes sense. Like at some point in life, I want to make sure I have super kids, but I want to be super now. But yeah. to a lot of parents who have this idea, like, no, no, the most important thing is I got to put my hours in, I got to work, and then I come home, and I'm going to take care of my kids, put my kids first, and then it's my outlet, I'm going to have a few beers, and, you know, and just, you know, cut loose, and, you know, look, man, when you get old, we all get a little fat, and we get a little out of shape, <laughs> and that's what happens, and that's what my pop did, and that's what his pop did, and, all right, brother, but let's face it, like, realistically, by doing those kind of things, you're actually giving your kids a worse shot. And mm -hmm. that's the thing right there. And again, if, you, if you're done breeding, maybe that's the whole thing. But I also think maybe in a lot of ways, you're showing bad habits to your kids, which then might put them in a situation where they might be falling short and possibly putting their kids at risk of, you know, having, uh, you know, maybe more issues, uh, you know, when, when they have kids. So I don't know. It's just, it, I thought that really made a lot of sense about why it is it's just, you know, health is one of those things where you just have to consistently you know, stay on it. I think like just mm -hmm. when you stop moving, you stop doing these things. Actually, maybe, that, maybe that's a one, one really good segue. So what happens to the body when you then say stop exercising, you get deconditioned, you start to get fat, right? You start to, um, you know, get those aches and pains, you know, like how does that process happen in the body? And then, like, maybe what happens in the body? Like, how was, say, gaining a ton of weight? Like, how does that affect things on a cellular level? So, good question. Um, basically, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's, about, like, you know, as simple as the saying is. Um, yeah. So, let's say you're a top athlete now. And then in five years, you know, through whatever life circumstances you you get fat, you know, you, you're, you're not as dedicated to the gym on a cellular level or on a hormonal level, even, um, your body's compensating for that. You know, when you get a little bit more overweight, you have a lot more adipose tissue fat, uh, your adipose tissue can actually produce what's called adiponectin, which is a hormone that actually can increase your desire to eat, uh, increase your, or decrease your ability to actually get restful sleep. And it actually can distort some types of brain chemistry. There are some studies that indicate that as well, so that you can actually have higher risks of depression, higher risks of anxiety. So it's kind of this like self-fulfilling prophecy, like this catch 22 that, you know, it's great. You want to keep your uh, young athletes at a high level, but you should also instill in them that you know, when they're not training for a sport, it doesn't mean that they're not training for something important. Um, I always try to there like, you go, John. there you go. You know, yep. Uh, yep. you know, you, you you don't always want to train for just the game. You want to train for life as well. So, you know, by having all these like systems in check and have a good homeostasis, nice uh, word. Um, it, it allows the signaling processes in your body to stay at an optimum level. Even if you're not training to squat, say, 500 pounds or bench press a car, you know, you should still try to maintain some level of activity just to keep the motor and the machine running um, because it does have a lot of other downstream consequences. So even when you're done, you know, being the weekend warrior or even being done, you know, uh, in high school, college, whatever the case may be, and beyond, uh, you should always try to maintain some type of athletic, like prowess, I would say, not just for own, you know, I want to look good in the gym, I want to look good elsewhere. I like to look good, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little, you know, narcissistic in that regard. 
but you should also think of it as like, this is something that a, you can pass down to your kids if you haven't had kids yet. So at like 20, 21, 22, if you're not playing sports anymore, you should still try to maintain some type of physical activity because that's going to, it's going to affect somebody else if you're planning on having kids, but it could also affect you in the long term. You know, you want to be able to just maintain your own happiness. It'll, it'll help you with your, you know, regulation of, like I said, your brain chemistry and brain chemistry is one heck of a thing that you don't want to throw out of whack. Mm. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. And I guess maybe that's where, you know, there's the risk of like heart disease and things like that too, that happen, which, you know, again, that, that would be a different, uh, different cast for a different group. I don't want to go too far into those kind of things, but I definitely, I, you know, I appreciate you just breaking it down the way that you did. Now, I, I guess I want to give you an opportunity here. So you're on the YAP Youth Athletic Podcast. Is there anything you can think of um, that we haven't asked you that, you know, you may want to touch on, or is there anything you'd want to clarify just, uh, you know, sort of as a, you know, a last piece, you know, someone was getting their last, uh, last words from Dave Deming. What would you, what would you think you'd want to, you know, cover right now? Um, if you're out there and you're training and you're really trying to strive towards a goal uh, on the athletic side of things, always make sure that you're keeping up with the, uh, the cognitive side. As a scientist, you know, I'm a little partial to always trying to read, always trying to understand, you know, what the next thing is, what the next breakthrough is. But, you know, being an athlete isn't just being physically fit. It's being uh, as mentally acute as possible. So you definitely want to try to make your mind sharper. Um, There are some studies that indicate that, you know, when quarterbacks going into the NFL take that I think it's an aptitude test I forget what the actual name is quarterbacks that score the W to the one they're talking about and if I'm yeah. making it up I'm gonna say Wilkes and be wrong so <laughs> no Wilkes is powerlifting um yeah. Wonderlick is what the Wonderlick yep yeah. yep quarterbacks who have a good physical prowess but also score very high on the Wonderlick tend to be better athletes tend to have longer careers so what I would say is, you know, don't always just focus on the, the sports, read a book, challenge yourself with like Sudoku, try to keep your mind as sharp as possible, really um, challenge your brain as much as you challenge your body. You know, some people may say, hey, you know, math problems are bad or, you know, it's boring or stuff like that. But if you're able to think on your feet in that split second, it gives you that advantage over somebody that's not training like that. Think about Richard Sherman on the field. Guy's a genius. Guy's smart as heck. You know what I mean? And the guy trained himself to be not only a top athlete, but he was just, he was a high, I think he almost had a four Oh at Stanford, maybe a three high three something at Stanford guys, incredibly smart. So the smarter you are and the way that you think about yourself on the court or on the field really can have an influence on your longevity as an athlete, but also give you that split second advantage when you need to make a decision or when you need that leadership role to come through and shine, say as a captain or as a leader on the field, you can make that split second call to make an audible or make a change in the play or really do something along those lines that I I think gets kind of left out when we're talking about just, you know, training and really focusing on the physical aspects of uh, the sport. That's you. And I think, again, when you start talking about those things, one of the big skill sets that, you know, we really, and I know that, you know, when I was talking about the, you know, say like the fascial system and just getting into the idea that when you train your body to do different movements in different uh, planes, so like multi-planner or omni-planner, right? So we're talking about moving to the side, rotating, uh, going forward and trying to put all those things together. A lot of it is about coordinating the tissues uh, and, and basically getting the nervous system ready to move into different ways that it's not used to, right? And trying to make sure that there's no areas in which it can't perform. I think when we talk about doing those kind of drills, it's great because a lot of what we're trying to do is be able to organize ourselves to be able to really quickly gather all the natural resources to be able to create that movement at the right time. And I think if your brain is moving even quicker, that processor can sense those things and organize the way that we've trained properly, that hopefully Mm -hmm. it can start to make those moves. There's something about having somebody telling someone to do, you know, a lunge with a chop and a rotation, but then there's something to being able to just out of nowhere, like, you know, point to a direction where they don't expect it. Or when we talk about some of these drills where we do speed work, 
and basically have someone like run up to a cone and hit a cut and you tell them to go to the right, you tell them to do that four times, mm-hmm. they go to the left, you do that four times. Then they run up to you and you start at the point. Now you start to actually, you know, don't even tell them what the drill is. And all of a sudden I know where you're like, you know, you're just like, you know, you have someone run at them and you're like, figure that out. Don't like, don't mm-hmm. get tagged. You know, it's great to be able to think about what your brain has to do, how to get that processor to work. So David, you touched on something great there, man. Um, John, did you have something to say about that or was there a question you had? Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing because one of the, I have four things that I think every athlete needs to be the best he could possibly be. Like every, four things that they have to have in check. That's your training, your sleep and recovery, your nutrition, and then your mental. So that's, that's awesome that you brought that up. I think if all four of those things are in check for an athlete, like he's pretty much set, you know? Um, uh, but one thing, one question I had was, do you have any resources on like uh, the mental side of things like books, websites, anything that you like read? So I would just say, you know, read anything, read, read for your imagination. You know, a lot of people say that you need to read like nonfiction to really engage yourself. I think fiction, you know, whether that's, you know, some novel that you're interested in or some type of, you know, anything, like anything that gets your brain going, I really think is key to developing those neural connections that you need for just to be able to problem solve, to think quickly, Um, just the act of reading alone. But I can, you know, I can always give you guys some resources. I can look some stuff up uh, as well on the nonfiction side. So, okay, cool. So that's, I understand what you're saying a bit better now. So what you're saying is just challenging your mind in a way that you normally wouldn't. So put the playbook down and go maybe read something else, you know? Exactly. You know, so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, you know, if, if you're ingrained in the playbook and you know the playbook and you need a break, but mm-hmm. you're too tired to actually hit the gym or you're, you're in that recovery mode, pick up something to read. You know, it could, right. it could be a Sports Illustrated, um, you know, read an article, um, read something that you find very fascinating about, you know, why you're training the way you are. You know, there's mm-hmm. plenty of uh, resources that I know, Eric, uh, you know, like the, the NASM book, you can mm-hmm. instantly just pick something up like that that's, you know, readily available and very approachable. Um, but anything that like really kind of, you know, just sparks the imagination for your athletes you know Mm -hmm. say your athletes really into i don't know fantasy literature you know get them to get them to read a chapter a night before bed because that's the other thing you know take away the screen and it's going to help your mind actually rest a little bit easier and get into Mm -hmm. that deep sleep that you need you know, I, I kind of suggest that to people who, you know, have anxiety, who have depression, that, you know, in my field as a PhD researcher, it's through the roof. There's, I, don't, I know so many people that, you know, go to therapy weekly that, you know, do medication, but they don't do the little, you know, self-care that you need to do. Get your athlete to just, you know, pick up something, read it right before bed, and it'll help them like just wind down. You know, you, you get rid of this before you go to bed you're going to sleep a lot better. You know, that's just, it's, it's proven fact, you know, get away from the blue screen and really just pick up some, you know, something on paper and just try to read. And also one other thing I wanted to say, I was going to say just on the cognitive thing. I remember uh, investing in alpha brain, right. And it was the Joe Rogan uh, product. And again, it was mostly for cognitive uh, function. And I'll say, I think that the product was helpful and a lot of the ingredients that are in that product. I don't want to push the, that stuff too much, but I'll say mm-hmm. this. I'd read up on it. I'd heard uh, a, a number of people talking about it and then actually jumped into Joe Rogan talking about it after I was already taking the product, right? And he was, you know, hyping it up. What I'd say is during that time period, I felt more enlightened than ever before because I pretty much was coming a little bit out of like a funk, right? Mm-hmm. And during that time period, I started digging into philosophy. Now, what I'll say yeah. is this, philosophy was so much fun for me. Like, honestly, I kind of wish I would have taken it in college and just hearing like Nietzsche talk, right? And then actually listening to various TED Talks where they had talked mm-hmm. about how happiness actually worked and how essentially your body and brain manufacture happiness after a certain period of time. Like, just like at some point in time, the chemistry is going to get there and you'll work your way out of it. And, you know, I started to feel better taking those pills. But when I stopped taking those pills, I still felt good. I actually yep. felt great, and my training went up. Why? Because I was stimulated, and 
at that time, I'd introduced boxing in, which was a new puzzle to figure out. So mm-hmm. there was something about just changing my life around. And honestly, it had all come from me being hit by a car and kind of having like a time where I was just looking at my life and wasn't really sure exactly like where, you know, where I was going and what was going on. But, you know, it's, I would say this, everything that you're talking about right there, just stimulating the mind. I think that's a huge part of it because when you are excited to wake up in the morning and there's, mm-hmm. you're actually looking to get more information and you're looking to do something different. So in other words, for that guy that has the same stagnant workout and hates it and goes, man, I can't get motivated to get in here. Well, what's wrong with that guy saying, what did, what did you like doing before? Oh man, I used to love playing baseball. Well, they got a lot of these, you know, these, uh, these baseball leagues, you can jump in, pick a day and go do it. That might excite you. A lot of times those guys start out, you know, end up working out more and, you know, then they're mm-hmm. better parents because they're less miserable, you know, things like that. You know? So, and I think you just really, really touched on something there. And I know I cut you off, John. So what were you saying? I was talking about um, new uh, skill acquisition. So one of the things, I'm a part yes. of a group called, called Real Movement. And a big thing that they do is juggling. So learning how to juggle, like, especially for elite athletes, that's sort of like, like NFL, people in the NFL, people in the NBA, I think, them going through a process of something that they're not good at, like that brings mm-hmm. them back down to earth and sort of, I think, makes them a better leader because they're like, damn, I'm not, I can't get this. Like it, it makes them understand, like, for example, like Michael Jordan had a problem with guys when they weren't as good as him or, or, or sort of didn't uh, hold up to his standard. But if he would have did something like that and sort of brought him back to earth, he may have understood a little bit more. Now, granted, they won six championships, so maybe he could have been a better leader if he included things like that in his sort of process. Oh, yeah, hey, completely agree. Patrick's code book, right? Talked about how Jordan wasn't a leader, and if you look at all these dynasties that are out there, the Captain's Code guys, uh, mm-hmm. basically in the book, it, it pretty much sums up what made dynasties dynasties, and mm-hmm. when they broke it down, it had to do with who the team leader was, and in none mm-hmm. of those situations was it ever the best guy on the team. So it's an right. interesting mm-hmm. skill. But look at that Warriors team that was so dominant. Know who was the uh, the team leader? Iggy, right? Mm-hmm. Iggy Ball, he won himself, uh, you know, an MVP. But realistically, he was a selfless player, right? Wasn't the yeah. best guy on that court. It's um, usually the workhorse. From Michael Jordan for a bunch of his career was the team leader. Mm-hmm. Um, makes a lot second, of sense. And again, I, I think, you know, you really brought up a big point there uh, about juggling and skill acquisition. Sounds like Sean Mishka has some interesting uh, ideas and a lot of his research came from Bernstein. So anybody who's interested in that idea of like, say, the degrees of freedom and skill acquisition and basically just trying to get the body to organize itself to do really, really complex things with the problem that like every one of these joints has all these different, mo- you know, degrees of freedom and ability to move. Um, that would be some really interesting research there too, since, uh, you know, we were talking a bit about research. Mm-hmm. Dave, I know you were chiming in. Yeah, honestly, guys, you know, the juggling thing is key. You know, um, I think anytime that you challenge yourself to do a new item, you're learning something new, you're pushing yourself to the next level. So like, like I said, just try to get your athletes to read a little bit, you know, because it's just a different way that your brain is functioning. It's not going to take away from any of their training and it can even help them in the long run, especially if they're interested in what they're doing. You know, if they're interested in training, give them some materials. I know that you guys definitely have materials that are at your fingertips that, you know, could be very readily uh, like approachable. So you don't want to give them something that's too, highbrow so i'm not going to give them like a peer-reviewed journal article about you know the like the acetylcholine receptor and how it responds to you know exercise but you know something along the lines of like why they're doing what they're doing because then it gives them more of a sense of oh it kind of it kind of brings it full circle it gives them an idea like oh that's why eric is making me want to puke every time i meet with him or not, you know what I mean, to a certain extent. But yes. you know what I mean? It gives them an idea to go, oh, wow, I understand what's happening, what's happening in my body, you know, why I'm doing this, why I need the rest, why I need the recovery, why I can't just go, you know, I need, I'm going to work out six days this week, and I'm going to work out six days next week, and I'm going to kill myself, and I'm going to be the top athlete. Give them the idea, you know, this is why you're doing it, and I think they will fall in line a little bit more with, you know, buying into why you're doing what you're doing. 
that goes like the, with the Simon Sinek stuff there. So it's not, you know, it's know your why. It's not what you do. It's why you do it kind of thing. And I think for the kids, it's not what we're doing. It's our reason why we're spending the energy to do it. It's that interesting idea of like the body in general is not really that into the idea of just spending energy for the sake of spending energy. I mean, I think in general, if you look at how the metabolism is set up and everything's set up, it's really, it's kind of hard for it to think of exercise as being valuable when the idea is you don't necessarily know that there's going to be food coming. I think we were sort of designed with the idea as foragers that like we weren't always sure things were going to happen. So the metabolism can adjust to how frequently it's being fed. But mm -hmm. when you can stimulate one's mind to envision a goal, then a lot of times you can bypass that weird thing that inside of us that goes, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And at that point, mm -hmm. of course it's worth it because you're driven towards that goal. I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's a great point, man, the whole why thing. Uh, John, I love the fact that he touched on the, uh, the long-term athletic development co component there, right? So not yeah, just uh, not just training for the, the sport, but training year-round, right? Yes, sir. That's what, that's what we're all about. So, And I guess one thought for you, John, after hearing these type of things and all, is there uh, anything that you picked up from today's talk that you would like to point out to the audience and just say, like, you know, focus in on this? Because, again, we touch on a lot of different topics, but I always think it's cool when, you know, one thing about John, you guys got to realize, is John's super valuable to this podcast. Um, not only is he our tech guy, but I think John's the most pragmatic dude here. Uh, and I think he knows how to just make really complex things, you know, um, a lot more simple. I think he just picks up on it. He just, he finds those key words. He goes, you know, he'll usually latches on to something. Is there something that you would like to highlight from this talk? Um, well, I mean, I guess it's uh, convenient because it was one of the last things you talked about, but that mental side is key. Like, I like that you brought that up, man. Um, more athletes need to understand that because when your mental is right, like, you start to get everything else, you know. So everything becomes much easier when your mental game is strong. So I like that. That's huge. We talked a whole lot, like, on a molecular level what was going on, and it's cool how in the end we somehow come back to do a different component of how the brain works because we realize mm -hmm. the brain's involved in everything we talked about today, mm -hmm. but it was cool to talk about the brain and really the brain's, um, you know, brain's relationship to performance training. So it's cool to be able to throw that cognitive work in. Well, Dave, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, man, it was fun. You know, I'm, I'm glad we did it. We've got a ton of content. Uh, hopefully we can have you back. I'd love to be able to, you know, bring you back for some more talks. How, you know, how'd it go for you? Oh, I loved it. Thank you guys for having me. It was uh, definitely interesting. It's definitely different than the uh, podcast that I'm used to doing for myself. So thank you guys for having me. Yes, sir. Sure. Well, guys, uh, I guess for Dave Damming, John Coleman, and myself, thanks for listening to the app today. Look forward to bringing you more content. And uh, again, I hope everyone is stays healthy and happy. To, so have a good weekend.